All right, Tyrell Ventura sitting down here with Travis Johnson, or Bull. <laughs> Love the nickname. <laughs> People remember, that's when it comes election time, that's what you want. You want somebody to walk in the booth and go, oh, Bull, I've heard that name. I'm a 20-year Army vet. I, I was born in Louisiana originally, joined the military soon after, after getting out of high school, and retired in 2018. Uh, wife is from, from up here in Minnesota. So uh, in-laws basically said, hey, if y'all want to retire here, retire next to us, we'll give you 40 acres to, to retire on for, as your share of inheritance. I bought livestock. So not only did I have to go through my first real Minnesota winter, I had to do it taking care of animals. <laughs> Doing chores through a Minnesota winter. Uh, that's actually how I overcome when people say, well, you're just a carpetbagger from Louisiana. Once I tell them about taking care of livestock in a Minnesota winter, they're like, now you're, you're honorary Minnesota now. Okay, you, you've earned your stripes. I started looking at what was going on. This, of course, after January 4th, all of the, the, the country tearing themselves apart, the two parties tearing themselves apart. And I said, well, you know, we got to do something. We can't just sit here and let that happen. Uh, you have no power going into either party as, as a freshman. I mean, they, 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 you're expected to do as they say, as they say to do it. And, uh, so, I, and so I started looking around. I said, let's look at... We had a first-term uh, congresswoman, Michelle Fishbach, who's, who's in office now. She beat 15-term Colin Peterson. But when they ran, there was, there was a lot of... Uh, she was basically selected by D.C. and by Minneapolis. The people of Western Minnesota really didn't have a say. It's like, this is our candidate. This is who we're monetarily backing. She's the one running. Uh, she ran against a guy who had been there for two other terms trying to run. Dave Hughes, who had done relatively well, been getting closer and closer to Colin every election, but, the, but they refused to, to back him, so to speak. When they went through their nominating uh, convention, of course, this was during COVID, everything was being done online. They had a situation where her campaign manager was calling his phone the entire time he's giving his spiel on why they should nominate him. Uh, and this is not rumor, he was actually, he was actually charged and pled guilty to, uh, to harass me, okay, so, but she never took any responsibility for this. This is her campaign, her campaign manager. It was, there was no ownership, and being in the military, that bothered me. Okay, you know what, if, if they did it without your knowing, you went, hey, I'm sorry, this should not have happened. I'm, it, this was under my, my, my umbrella. We'll make sure it never happens again. We apologize, blah, blah, blah. None of that happened. It was just crickets. It bothered me. And then when I start talking about, because she's, she's GOP, when I start talking to the Republicans, they were upset. They weren't happy with her. They, they were disenchanted. They felt that she was shoved on them by D.C., that she didn't actually represent Western Minnesota. And uh, when I, after I keep talking to people and, and start going, you know, there's a weakness there. There's an opportunity. This district swang 70 or 65 to 70 percent for Donald Trump. It is strongly Republican. A Democrat... That's not a blue dog, does not have an ice cube's chance here. That also means that the Republicans have a hard time using their, their old faithful argument of, well, if you vote for a third party, you're voting for the Democrat. Well, guess what? If Trump took 65 to 70%, everybody can vote for them unless I split it right down the middle, it's not gonna help them. Not to mention as a third party, I am going to pull some from that side as well. So looking at, at that uh, landscape, it made me say, you know what, this is, this is possible. I've always said I wouldn't run if I didn't think I had a chance to win. 
But the stars had all lined up to where I think it would give an opportunity to, to go out there and make a difference. And I, I firmly believe right now is if one district in this country goes outside the two-party system to a true independent that's not beholden to either party, that's not coxing with either party, it will show the rest of the country it's possible. And that whole story that the two parties share, that it's either us or them, crumbles and falls apart. We do this in Western Minnesota. You know what? I could see it happening in North Dakota or South Dakota. We're close enough alike. We're close enough alike, alike in our beliefs that you could have that kind of, of situation that could change our country for the better. That could cause people to, hey, wait, we got to work together. We can't just do politics of, of that's the bad guy. You can't vote for the bad guy. You got to vote for us. The, part, the two parties don't believe in earning our votes anymore. So a mixture of all that, and just, and just actually, I got a, when I got out of the Army, I was telling this to my wife, uh, we adopted our, our daughter a little older, and now she's out of the house now. And I think in, in a lot of ways, I was looking for a purpose again. And th that purpose kind of opened itself up that, hey, you know what? This is about something bigger than me. This is about something bigger. This is about saving a, a, a country. And yes, sometimes it just takes that one pebble to cause that wave that just can turn into a tidal wave. And that's what made us say, you know what, let's, screw it. Let's, let's, let's put ourselves out there. Uh, our and I use the story all the time. Our state put Jesse Ventura in the freaking governor's mansion, okay? There is no reason. We've voted third party. We've done it before. We can do it again. Uh, and I just told that story down the road. And uh, the guy was talking to me. He's like, yeah, you know what? I mean, I, I, so I always remember Jesse. He's the only politi politician who's ever sent me money back. <laughs> so true. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a fascinating story. And I think one of the things I really enjoy about where you're coming from mm -hmm. in this is the fact that you've really led a life of service, mm -hmm. you know, from, from your time in the military and now today you're someone who says, you know what, I, I, I do my own thing, I work in the private sector, I do that, but from time to time, when I feel the calling, when I feel it's right for me, uh, and I feel that like my viewpoint is shared mm -hmm. by a lot of the other, my neighbors and the community around me, um, it's a good time to be of service again. Yep. Truthfully, what running for office is supposed to be is to be of service. What about, you mentioned Western Minnesota and the, and the community that you're trying to represent. What do they want in representative government? Well, from what I'm seeing is COVID had a, had a big impact on that area. This is an area where, I mean, it, it's predominantly white, uh, predominantly area people who have never suffered oppression or anything like that. All of a sudden, COVID came, came and they got, started getting told what they can and can't do. They start being told, you have to stay in your house, you have to wear a mask. And it woke a lot of them up. Uh, it woke a lot of these people who were pri previously social conservatives, all of a sudden are going, wait a minute, this ain't cool. So it's opening, it's, it started a more of an awakening of liberty, of realizing, hey, if we don't want the government telling us what to do, then maybe we shouldn't be trying to tell the government to, to what to have other people do. And, and I think that was a, a big, big, big change, a big switch. Uh, I think that woke a lot of people up. Uh, we're in an area that's very pro Second Amendment, but, the, and they're also just, they're, the debt is starting to scare them. They're starting to say, hey, wait a minute, look, look at the gas prices, look at everything else, okay? Inflation is here. 
I mean, a lot of that came from spending. So yeah, we have to get the debt under control. That goes right in line with, with my thought process of small government. And uh, as far as the liberty concerned, my whole thought process is if the government's not big enough to impose their will, then you have the liberty you're looking for. So, uh, so that's kind of what I, I think they're looking for. They're looking for that, that small government that what the Republican Party used to be. Uh, when I go out and I talk to people, and party, party affiliation always comes up. When I talk to people Western Minnesota, they don't identify as Republican or Democrat. They identify as Ron Paul Republican. That really kind of struck for me. And then when I go back and I, I look at the history, I look at Minnesota's history. I mean, in 2012, 12 out of 13 Republican delegates to the National Convention were for Ron Paul. But if you look at our representatives, how many of them actually represent what Ron Paul stood for? None. And uh, I have this conversation with people all the time, and there's a reason for it. There's no money in it. There's no money in small government. There's no money in being anti-war. There's no money in ending the drug war. That money is what drives the political party's coffers. So that's why the establishment has, even though the people have wanted that, but they have been slowly went further and further away from that because that's how they afford to, to run these campaigns. I mean, this district between the two uh, candidates in their packs last election spent $13 million. 12 million of it was attack ads. And people go, well, how are you gonna fight with that? I mean, you're, you're not made out of money, you don't. Well, again, it's, it's that perfect situation. Uh, because look here in, in Minnesota again, we have basically right now three districts that are up for grabs. Where's all the money gonna go? They're gonna go through those three, those three districts that are up for grabs. They're gonna look at our district and say, you're an R plus 20. We don't need to put money there. Democrats are going to look at that. We're not going to put money there. It's going to be wasting it. Uh, and I really think the GOP is going to look at it and say, if y'all can't be an independent, why are you there? So we're not going to have that $13 million running into this district that we did last, last election. It's still, it's still uphill battle. I mean, she's, she's uh, brought in a million dollars already last year and burned through almost seven or 800,000 of it. And, and as the election goes on, I mean, her, her, her pot's going to continue to grow. And I mean, our, our campaign's brought in somewhere thirty to $40,000, which for a third party campaign is actually not shabby when you still got five months left. But how do, we, how do we compete with those numbers? I mean, we get very caught up in national politics and national issues. And I think that, that I would imagine that for a lot of people across the country, they don't care about the hot topic of the day in Washington that, that's like a national, gets all the media attention mm -hmm. kind of issue, they're more worried about my daily life. Exactly. So how, how can government work for me to help me or not hinder mm -hmm. me yeah. in what I just am trying to accomplish mm -hmm. on a daily basis, whether it's, it's farming or working mm -hmm. nine to five somewhere, whatever it might be. What's the general makeup of like your district in terms of uh, what do people do there just so people can get an idea yeah. of you know, listening around the yeah. world and things like that? Like what kind of a district is it? What, is, what do people do there? Who, who are they? Yeah. We, we are predominantly a rural agricultural district. Uh, a, lot of it is, a lot of it is farming or one type or the other. We do have a couple industrial bases. We have Arctic Cat, which has a, a large facility near us. We have uh, DigiKey, which is another company that provides uh, 
parts for just almost everything across the board as far as chips and computer chips and stuff like that. So, so we do have a handful of manufacturing centers, but for the most part it's agriculture or it's rural. What do you think is the biggest misconception? Because I think like right now, we're sitting in a place where the, the national media tells us and we, we kind of see every story shaped as city versus country. Mm -hmm. Everybody outside the city are, you know, redneck Republicans. Everybody in the city is bleeding hard, mm -hmm. progressive, liberal. You know, and I don't know if the country's divided that way or if that's just a cute well, kind of way for the media to kind of shape the story. I, I think to a certain extent it is a little divided that way. Uh, because in a lot of cases, I think we see different issues. We have different issues that are important to us. I have a friend of mine, and he was the, the former chair of the Libertarian Party, who's in Minneapolis, and, and there was, we were going at it one day, and it was, it was about police forcing, about policing. And his comment to me was, why do you people in the, in the rural area hate us in the city so much? It's like, we don't. But you know what, I mean, the problems you have with your policing we don't in the country we don't we don't do that we know the the officers they are from our our area we know the families okay they are policing their communities in the city you don't necessarily have that you have police officers in in communities that are not their own they don't necessarily have that vested interest so when y'all have an issue in the cities and y'all are attacking police officers across the board that that doesn't resonate with us. That makes that just kind of drives. That that's one of those issues that we just don't necessarily see eye to eye. I mean, I understand their point. Problem is, I mean, we do have some bad bad police officers out there, but you can't paint them all with the same brush. And, and I think that's kind of what a problem when we were having the issues in the cities last year with the the riots. That's what a lot of people in, in the, the rural community they didn't understand that because they don't see what happens in the city. So they don't understand how these people could be so upset, how they could, I mean, be so pissed off because it's not something they experience. And, and at the same time, I think it, it goes the other way where they see the support for officers out here and they go, why are you supporting the oppressors? And it, that's just one of those things where, where people have a hard time understanding it to a certain extent. I mean, people out in, in rural America we can't understand people not having an ID. Because you know what, you gotta drive everywhere. And, and I tell people sometimes, like, my, like if you're in the city, you're there, you probably, there's a lot, you don't need ID. You have the corner store, your whole family's been going there for years. They nail you, they know how old you are. They're not gonna check your ID. You get on public transportation. I mean, you could literally live without ever having to pull out any type of identification. And I mean, depending on every, your job and everything else, you may get paid cash. You may be spending everything on cash. So the thought process in a rural area of not having an ID is just such a, a forward concept, but in the city it's not. So when we start talking issues like, like uh, voter voting, uh, uh, election integrity, I mean, people have to, in the rural, need to understand if you're gonna be pushing this, but guess what? We need to figure out a way to make sure everybody's got one because not everybody does. And a lot of times, they, the, the rural area just, they don't understand that. They see it as, as somebody trying to stack the deck. And they see the way it can be abused, but they don't necessarily understand, hey, I mean, it's not just about the $15 for an ID card. If you don't have your birth certificate, you don't have a permanent address, how do you overcome these things? These things cost money. So it's not just the 
15 or $20 for an ID card. It's interesting as you bring that up, because what kind of popped into my head is that you don't see politicians today or people running for office who want to bridge those gaps. You go to a national level, you're representing the state yep. as well as your district. And I think a lot of times politicians try to run on this, this kind of fear-based thing of, they don't take the time to explain the needs of others. It's better to understand what folks are trying to get in the city as well as in the mm -hmm. rural communities and then try to find the overlap where it both makes sense so yep. that both people can understand, both communities can understand where the other's coming from mm -hmm. and then that creates more unity. But right now we don't see that. No. We, wanna, we always wanna see this division and keep people at, at each other's throats. Even in my area, I'm predominantly rural, 70% Republican. That means you're 30% Democrat. And if I'm the representative, guess what? I'm the representative of that 30% as much as I am the 70. I mean, that's one of my big issues with my opponent right now is almost all of her, her functions are driven towards GOP areas or GOP events. She hasn't had a town hall. I mean, the, the, the year she's been in there, I think they've done maybe a couple of them online, but a in-person town hall, she's never done. Uh, and I got a problem with that. And I tell people, you know, we've got a huge district. I mean, uh, from the north to the south, it's roughly six and a half to seven hours. That's a massive district. 42,000 square miles, 38 counties. So it's, not, so it's a wide variety of people. You have your guys in your, again, your manufacturing areas. You have your, 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 your farmers, your rural area. I mean, but you got to be able to understand where everybody's coming from. You may not always have to agree. And that's why I'll tell people is, you know what? You're not going to agree with me on everything. But you're always going to know where I stand, uh, and that's where I, I, how I paint myself different from the other politicians. You know what? It's dangerous. It's dangerous to do that. We just, I just had a, a post on Facebook that was going kind of sideways because we were talking about January sixth, and I mean, I, and I tell people, you know what? I feel that that was an attempted coup, and, and that's not a popular opinion in the middle of, of Trump country. And I mean, we was one person, we, we were going at it for a while on there and because she, she got the opinion that everybody who was there was participating in a coup. And I'm like, no, that's, not, I think, but I think there's, there's a handful of people pulling the strings. Those are the people, everybody else was caught up in the moment. A lot like the riots in Minneapolis, okay? 90% of those people were caught up in the moment and you have a few people who, who go overboard and then emotions blare over and I think it's the same, basically the same thing happened. I mean, if you were there, that doesn't make you a criminal. You were, you were upset, you were pissed off. You didn't feel your voice was heard. Same as what happens in the cities. They don't feel their voices are heard. And when you don't, that's when, that's when things blow up. But again, it, it's, a, it's a thing we need to do. We need to bring those things into the open and going, hey, this is what I think. I'll listen to you, you listen to me. And you know, by the time we were done, she went from, well, I can't support anybody who, who, who thinks I was a coup to, you know what, I understand you. I don't necessarily completely agree with you, but I know where you're coming from. That's all I can ask. I mean, that's all we can ask from any of our, our politicians, but so many of them hide. They'll never tell you where they stand until they see which way the wind is blowing. You, you know, you picked a tough road to hoe because it, running as an independent, uh, going up against two parties, mm -hmm. uh, no matter where you're running or what the demographic is or what the voter base is, that's always going to be the uphill battle. Where do you think your independent streak comes from? Like, where you know, why choose that route? I think there's a couple reasons. Uh, one, 
has a lot to do with, with risk reward. It's a big risk, but you know what? It's also the biggest reward uh, of being able to actually put our country back on the right path. People tried to convince me hard to run Republican. They're like, you know what? If you run Republican, we'll throw our weight behind you. You'll probably win the primary. If you win the primary, you win. But how do I change anything? I get there and I'm expected to do what McCarthy or whoever else tells me to. There is no, no power in that. We do a podcast every week now that we started uh, a couple months ago called Independent is Power. And, and, and that's what the thing is, is telling you, you know what? If we win this, if we pull this off, Western Minnesota has an outsized influence over anybody else in the country. Because if we're up there and it's a closely divided house, everything has to come through us. You're not expected to automatically follow the left or the right. You can get out there and say, this is our position. This is, this is, how I, this is what I need to do to represent my area. Uh, and you don't see that in the other parties. I mentioned Mark, or Mark Lindquist earlier. Mark's a friend of mine who was, he was actually the front runner for the Democratic spot for a while. I mean, to the point they, I mean, they were bringing him to meet Tim Walls and they were, they were, they were grooming him for it. And then they sat down with him and had a conversation. They said, Mark, we're going to support you. We're going to push this. We're going to try to get you in office. But if we get you in the office, we expect you to do three to four hours a day fundraising for the DNC. And he's like, whoa, time out, what? He said, no, we need you to get on there and do phone calls for three to four hours to, make, to, to get this money for the, the Democratic National. He's like, how can I do that and represent my, my constituents? I mean, I don't, I don't have time for both. Well, dude, that's the deal. And, and Mark said, you know what? No, I can't do that. And at that point, he decided to go, go independent. And uh, a little bit later, a couple, about a month and a half, two months ago now, he gave me a call one day. He said, dude, I got good news and bad news. Like, all right, always the bad news first. But the bad news is I decided to, to uh, drop out of the race and I'm going to go to Ukraine and do humanitarian aid. Because he, he was an Air Force vet and he never got deployed. He just he felt he needed to do that. It's like, and the good news is without me, your job just got a lot easier. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know what? I mean, this is, uh, and I, I can't help but think we also lost a lot when, Mike, when Mark did that. Because me and Mark, we had talked about it this for a while, and we were both upset about the way things were going. And we had already said, you know what? We're going to campaign together. We're going to go to all these county fairs. He's, he's, he's a Democrat. I'm an independent. To let people see, you know, you can work together. You don't have to be enemies. We're friends. We're friends to this day. And uh, I don't think people realize that. I mean, it's too easy to, to uh, villainize people. I mean... And that's part of what frustrates me with the, with the Fishbot campaign. I have tried to get a sit down with her, to meet her, introduce each other. Let's get to know each other. Because it's a lot harder to be, part of my expression, an ass when you know each other, when, you're, when, you, when you actually personally know each other. And they've rebuffed every effort I've made to do that. When Mark left, there was a couple other Democrats who were running, who were uh, in, before redistricting in the Bemidji area. And the same thing, we were all, got along we were friends they invited me to some of their events that's what we're missing in, in politics that that you know what let's 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 have a battle of ideas instead of a battle of personalities i i agree completely i think that that what you're telling is 
that's a beautiful thing as you're describing it because I love the fact that you said I want to reach across the aisle I want to reach across whether they be Republican or Democrat or other third party I want to reach across and have these conversations so we can find proper avenues and lanes to work together look there's something we can agree on mm -hmm. we may disagree on 90 percent but there's no reason that we can't move forward on that 10 percent yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and when you look at like, you know, how you've laid out like, you know, your, your statements on various issues, you know, I look at it and I see a lot of like, okay, that a little more right leaning. Oh, okay. You're against the war on drugs. <laughs> That's a very left leaning, you know, like, oh, you're yeah. against foreign, you know, overseas meaningless wars. And that could, that's, that's one would say is very yeah. left, exactly. you, you know. But I think that those are also issues that when you really get to the root of people and really ask somebody how they really feel about something. I don't think those aren't oddball ideas. I don't think those are left and right ideas. I think a lot of, you know, people want to see the war on drugs end. You know, people want to, don't want to see our soldiers wasted and, mean, and used yep. in meaningless ways overseas yep. and the amount of money that's wasted in that process of our tax dollars. They could be coming home and either coming back to us to where we don't need to be taxed that much or at least going into programs to help people, yep. whether rural or city, to all have an even start. Right. <laughs> and, and you know, and, and that's one of my, my big points that I don't think gets enough attention is uh, Donald Trump, of course, he had this, this, this slogan of make America great. And, and you know what, I mean, I, I think I, I've got some disagreements with him as far as to what made America great. To me, what made America great was the small businesses. It was that opportunity of you could start with nothing and build yourself up to own your own business. That's what built the middle class in the United States. And we've gotten to the point now where the corporations are more important. You got all this corporate welfare. You don't let corporations fail. And without corporations failing, there is no room for small businesses to grow. And I think that's why we're one of the reasons we're having such a an issue today with such a disparity of, of income is corporations know they can do they can take risk is they're never gonna be held accountable because they're too big to, to fail. We can't afford this company, X company with 50 million, 50,000 jobs to fail because now it's killing our economy. There's 50,000 people out of work. Well, guess what? If you let a company XYZ with 50,000 people fail, you're probably gonna get replaced with 75 or 100 companies that are, that are still gonna employ those same people, but it redistributes that wealth to a lower level. And, and that's one of those things that, that's one of those things that I've, found with people they really agree with. There's so much regulation that hurts our small businesses. I mean, i give you an example in Crookston where I live near right now. Somebody had a food truck there and then they came back and said, well, no, you got to get licensed through the city. So they moved just outside the city. Well, then the city called the business that they were in front of and said, well, just so you know, if something happens there, then now you're legally responsible. Does your insurance cover that? And it's like, why? I mean, why are y'all making it? And, and I, I put a post on their, their Facebook page, and it, it was something along the, li the lines of, uh, if it pleases the crown, I would like to provide a service that the people desire. And, uh, of course, the owner of the, the food truck just loves me now, okay? Just, but it, it, it's stuff like that that you just, you make it so hard. They, they have to pass all these health inspections and everything else. Why is the city adding more issues, more hoops to jump through? To, to jump on what you're saying there, as I think it's because it piggybacks into what you were talking about the large corporate influence of our, over our government is because 
they'll get the government to pass all of these regulations in order to keep competition down. Exactly. Right? Because they can afford all that. They can write a check, they can cover anything yeah. they want, and yet small business owner, well, they can't cover that kind of cost. You know, and then that keeps competition down to where you only have three or four major companies yep. controlling everything. The danger that I see in that is that then it, it makes people feel like they can't change anything. Yep. It, it raises the cynicism, it raises the isolation, it raises yep. that, that apathy. Like, what, what can I do? Well, you know, what do you say to like voters that kind of throw up their hands, say, there's nothing I can do, the system's too big, I can't change it. Well, you know what, if you keep on saying that, you won't change it. But you know what, I'm trying to. I am, I'm going out here, I'm putting myself out there. I am, I am taking the, the road left, less traveled. And I think I got a chance to change it. But we need your help. I mean, I can't do it alone. I need you to, I mean, put faith in me, put faith in others, others like me that we can change it. I mean, in, in my view, what's changing it? It's limiting the government's ability to do harm to a certain extent. If they don't have all this power, they can't cause all these issues. I, I'm very much about decentralized power. Why? Because if the, when, when the government screws it up, and they probably eventually will, I want it to be on as small of a scale as possible. <laughs> Very true. Then it's easier to change. It's yeah, well, let's yeah, let's do let's experiment by doing something fifty different ways so we can see what works than one way on a on a national scale and it doesn't work. Then what do we do? Because we have no experience trying anything else. That's scary for a lot of people. I mean, and because everybody's everybody is against the government until they for they're for it until it's uh, until it's what they're well when they it's working for you. Yeah. it's great. You know, but then when it's working against you, that's where that's where the real I mean, it's when I think you're right, though. I think both whether it's rural or city, you run into a lot of walls and a lot yep. of red tape that makes you scratch your head sometimes and go, OK, not every law can be one size fits all. Not yep. every regulation can be one size fits all. Yep. How do we find that balance? Well, and, and that's my whole point. And this is one of the things I've noticed is we want to solve things like it, like like they're uh, in a vacuum and they're not. I mean, if we look at situations where, uh, look at all of our problems at once, there's a good chance you can solve problems with problems. I mean, an example for me is one of my goals or, uh, or hopes, if, if elected, is to start transfer, I want to shrink the government. Well, guess what? You have your Department of Interior in charge of all these national forests. How do you, how do you shrink them? Well, you take things out of their hands. So let's start, I mean, at the same time, we've done a terrible injustice to the first Americans. Let's give, let's take this national forest and let's start giving some of that land back to the, na to the, to the Native Americans. They have proved that they are much more economic, much more ecological friendly than, than, the, than most Americans are. So I could treat the government and take care of this other problem or address this other problem, same time. Is it that easy? No. But if you work out these details and get, then you know what we can, we can accomplish so, a lot of these things. Veteran suicides. Mm -hmm. In the last 25 years or so, we we have lost 25 of our brothers and sisters a day. Nothing's changed. Now, you look at every congressperson running for office, every damn one. You look on their webpage, and every one of them will say how much they love and care about our veterans. But nobody has tried to go outside the box to try to fix this problem. Nobody has tried to, they all say they love us and all that, but 
that's we're losing a lot of people every day and nobody can nobody's willing to go outside the box to fix this i mean one of my proposals is when you go in the army and you retire after 20 years you get tricare for life you basically get your your health insurance after 20 years of active duty i want to have to be able to way to be able to provide that kind of service from a mental health perspective for every veteran at the very minimum every veteran who served over who has served in a combat zone and that's one of my big issues with with my opponent i mean We've had three bills come up to help veterans this year, or this Congress, and she's voted no against all of them. And, and you know what, these are all single issue bills. One of which was, was something real simple. It was basically saying the VA could not charge somebody a co-payment for contraceptives if it wasn't required by law, and if it's as contraceptive that's required under the law. Should have been a no-brainer. He votes no against it. The second one was a situation where when when I'm discharged, and you, they have to look through my medical records and they can see, okay, you've blown out this knee, you've got torn ACL, whatever, we can, they'd automatically enroll you into the VA. Uh, so, and they would notify you when you got out, hey, you can get your knee seen at the VA. They voted against that. Uh, and reason went, well, that would just make the VA, I mean, back them up even further. Well, that's not the soldier. This is an entitlement they have. Why are we hiding it from them? And the third one, the third one is, is would have given benefits and health care to people who were exposed to burn pits. But not only burn pits, I mean, we're talking also Vietnam era veterans with Agent Orange. There's like 23 conditions that they could say are reasonably associated with this. If you have any of these 23 conditions and you were exposed to burn pits, we'll assume there's a correlation. And they, she voted against that. Now, now, granted, that was a bit, it would have been expensive, but at the same time, we obligated that expense when we sent these people to war. That is a cost of war, period. Not just the bullets, not just the, the, the money it costs to pay them while they're at war, but the price to take, the cost to take care of them when they come home. Most libertarians are even for this, and they hate spending money, okay? <laughs> they, they absolutely can't stand government spending money. And most of the libertarians I talk to on this are for, are for stuff like this. You take care of your own. And that's really a sore spot for me. Uh, I mean, just, but at the same time, you're on your webpage, you're going to say how much you love veterans. Yet, twice you've had the opportunity to revoke the uh, authorization for use of force in Iraq after we got our troops out of there and you haven't done it. Okay? It just... It, it's, it's, it's truly tragic how much money we will spend on conflict and weapons of war and how little we will spend on taking care of those that had to pull the trigger yep. or those that were, were under fire or you know those that served. Even if they didn't take part in a conflict, they're still serving their country at the mm -hmm. end of the day. And I think I agree with you completely. Far too often in, in our society, especially in our political society, it's, hey, every 4th of July, we're gonna parade all the veterans out with yep. us and wave the flag and stand on the podium with y'all and talk about how great you are and how thankful we are. But at the end of the day, once this parade's done, yep. who are you? And the quality of the mental health care with the military is not very good. I mean, I personally have had some experiences with it. And from my experiences, you're, you're gonna get me to see mental health kicking and dragging. Now, it, which is hard for me because there are soldiers I've had to say, hey, dude, this will help you, you need to go. Yeah, I feel like a hypocrite for telling them that because I personally have 
issues getting over 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 those issues myself. But it comes out to taking care of them. You know, you, sometimes you take care, better care of other people than you do yourself. It's hard sometimes. Okay, I mean, we yeah. know better, but yep. still we just can't oh, necessarily make that, oh, take yeah. that step. Oh yeah, every parent knows that. Yeah, right? I mean, it's just, <laughs> do as I do say, say, not as I, as I do. do. Not yeah, as I did. did. Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I made those mistakes so you didn't have to. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I want to say it, it's great sitting down with you today and, and, and talking about this. So let me ask you this as we kind of close up. Win, lose, or draw when this election comes up? Because you're, you're going to be on a ticket this November. Yep. Win, lose, or draw, what do you want people to take from, from this run for office mm -hmm. that you're on? And, where do you, and what do you want out of it, win, yep. lose, or draw? Well, if I win, I want people to take out of this, hey, this is possible. This is that we have an actual opportunity here to take back our country. If I lose, I am still extremely confident and comfortable that we will do a lot better than people have expected. And that people could take that same message and go, well, you know what, this is what he did with, with this. What happens if we give him a little bit more support? But, but we're in a situation now where the, the GOP, the incumbent, is reacting to me. That's a big sign. They are, they are sending people to my events. When has this happened? That's that means you're a threat. That, when is I mean when, I mean they don't the, waste time unless they are, you got we are, shot. We are six months out. In the last thirty days, we've had numerous robocalls from her office. I mean, we haven't seen her in eighteen months, and now every week you look, she's somewhere in the district. Okay, that's a reaction because it ain't the Democrats. They want seventy percent to twenty percent or thirty percent. Okay, so they're they're reacting to something else. Okay. It's got to be us. Why? Because I've got GOP candidates, grassroots GOP candidates, inviting me to their events over her because she's establishment and they pretty much said, you're not our type of candidate. So they're reacting to us. I want people to see this. I want people to understand that, that we have impact. Whether we like to see it or admit it or not, look at what's happening. I am, I am impacting this race no matter what. So you can't change government because it is forcing them to change how they do business now. I love it, man. Thank you very much for sitting down and, and let people know where they can, where they can find you and, and uh, uh, how they can uh, you know, help out if they want yeah. to. A couple, couple ways. Uh, even if you just come onto our Facebook, Bull Johnson for Congress, and just like us and follow us, that lends validity. The more followers we have, the more serious people take us. So even if you can't contribute financially or anything else, come there, follow us, take part in the conversations. If you, if you feel the need and you can contribute financially, please come to our website, bulljohnsonforcongress.us. Come to our contribute page. Uh, you can either donate, you can see some of our swag, but uh, please come out and help us. I mean, I can't, can't do this on our own.